This week on Geek Explained, to celebrate the release of Captain America's 750th issue, I'm counting down the top seven and a half best comic book runs featuring the Star Spangled Man with a plan. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is celebrating 750 issues of Captain America! Uh, this is a huge milestone for the character, and in observance of this landmark achievement for Cap, I'm going to be counting down the top seven and a half best comic book runs featuring him, and you know it's just an excuse for me to talk about Cap. It's also the week of the 4th of July! Happy 4th of July to all my my fellow Americans listening to the podcast near and far. Um, this is, you know, just kind of a, you know, a sweet little uh, coincidence that Captain America 750 is dropping the day after uh, 4th of July. We just missed it. If it was a DC comic, it'd be releasing on the 4th of July. But we are very quickly uh, approaching the end of the Hive Mind and Tochi Onyabuchi run, which don't worry we'll be talking about that more later um and it makes me kind of sad i'll get into it a little bit more you know in in the main segment of the show but it makes me sad that we've got this and then the uh finale next month so i don't know it's it it's been a really fun ride i am excited for straczynski's run um, but yeah, it is, it is a bittersweet episode, let's just say, but I'm still very excited to share what I've found and I'm excited to see how you all feel about this list. I might ruffle some feathers, so just get ready for that. Uh, we also have our latest weekly review on episode two of Secret Invasion, as well as, of course, this week's Comics Countdown, where I'll be chatting you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week. There were also some other things that happened this past week. We had the release of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And to say that the response has been mixed is being, I think, really generous. I'm not sure how to feel about it. I haven't seen it yet at time of recording, but I am really, uh, hmm, I'm, I'm conflicted about this, right? Because I've heard from people who loved it, I've heard from people who hated it, and it kind of feels like you know, we, we've been bandying about this term recently, uh, superhero fatigue, multiverse fatigue. I feel like we might be starting to head into legacy sequel fatigue. And what I mean by that is, like, these films that, you know, these studios that look at a really popular film or a really popular franchise, and they go, you know what we should do? Either make a sequel to it or make a really hastily thrown together reboot. And there are, you know, there are exceptions, I think, to the response to the general, like, malaise that I get whenever I hear, oh, this is finally getting a sequel after such and such years. You know, we had one of the best films of the last year, you know, Top Gun Maverick, which was incredible. Uh, but 
stuff like this and it's it it makes me really just kind of blah whenever I hear news like this. And there are exceptions, obviously. If if I don't have personal skin in the game, I think normally these kind of announcements just kind of wash over me. Uh, and for those of you who are immediately going to jump on me, yes, I know that Tron 3 falls under this. And I would have been really excited about it if I didn't already know that Jared Leto was going to ruin it. I... I don't know. I I don't know if legacy sequel fatigue is actually a thing, if it's a thing I'm making up right now or if it's a thing that's been bandied about, but I I think it's worth examining. I think it's just worth taking a look at because in this age of reboots, remakes and, you know, long quote-unquote long-awaited sequels, it's something that we need to pay attention to, especially with the, you know, growth of AI and the idea of like, oh, we'll bring back these dead actors and all these things. It can get dangerous and it can get really weird, especially when there are really cool things that are adapting or, you know, creating new stuff. We got the the adaptation of Nimona on Netflix. Go watch that. It's an adaptation of a really dope graphic novel. It's – we have – cool stuff that people should be paying attention to. I haven't seen barely anybody talking about it, and it is a wonderful piece of media that you should definitely go watch. Uh, Also, this week was the big old... 60th anniversary, I think it's 60, yeah, 60th anniversary of X-Men number one, which was really cool this past uh, Sunday as of this recording on July 2nd was the 60th birthday of Marvel's Merry Mutants, and if you are interested in celebrating and you haven't listened to it already, I was joined by Connor Goldsmith of Cerebro, and we talked all about that first issue, we dove deep into the pages, the story behind it. Great episode. One of my favorite episodes of the year as part of this year's XMA. Uh, go check it out. It was also our landmark 250th episode. So lots of fun. Big ups and thanks to Connor again for being on the show for that one. But it's just really fun to kind of look back on this comic and see how far they've come in 60 years. And speaking of which, it's really fun to go back and see how far Captain America has come in over 80 years. So let's talk about it, shall we? I think we shall. We are going to roll right on into this week's main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, as I count down the top seven and a half best comic book runs featuring Captain America. date is March 1st, 1941. Captain America Comics number one hits store shelves in a time of civil and political unrest. Who can stand against this much uncertainty? Why, 
the star-spangled man with a plan, of course. And over the last 80-plus years, Captain America has been a mainstay in mainstream comic books. All the way from issue number one to this week's Captain America number 750. 750 plus issues of Captain America have seen massive success throughout all ranges of different comic book eras. We're talking Golden Age, we're talking Silver Age, Bronze Age, Modern Age, all the way up to where we are right now. I don't think when they created the character, Jack Kirby and Joe Simon knew that Steve Rogers, his best pal Bucky, and all of the assorted characters that would come to call Cap ally would even imagine that he would be standing the test of time over eight decades later. But here we are. 750 issues, it is a milestone landmark achievement, and with it being the week of the 4th of July and all, I figure it's time to celebrate the Star Spangled Avenger by counting down the top seven and a half best comic book runs featuring Captain America. Now what do I mean by seven and a half? Well... With it being 750 issues, I wanted to give a little something extra on top of the top seven, which means we're going to get one honorable mention, and then we're going to get the seven best comic book runs featuring Captain America. This was, and I cannot stress this enough, a very difficult list to put together. It was damn near impossible to get it narrowed down to just seven and a half, but even more difficult to actually rank them. Now, I want to put a quick disclaimer out before we get into the list proper. This is a list that I put together. I am not the end-all, be-all authority on Captain America, as much as I like to pretend I am. If you disagree with this list, that's cool. Your list is allowed to be wrong. It's fine. I would love for you to let me know what your list is, and I would love for you to let me know what you think of my list. Feel free to reach out on socials at Pod through email, geeksplain.gmail.com. Let's have that conversation because there's a lot of Captain America comics to go around. It's 80 plus years of comics after all, and so obviously I know that your mileage may vary on some of these runs. However, looking at my strict criteria... I feel like I've got a pretty good handle on what we've got here. So, without further ado, right now, here we are, 750 issues at the time of recording, right now, in this moment, as many qualifiers as we want to put on it, let's get into the top seven and a half best Captain America comic runs. So, let's dig into that half first. Our honorable mention goes to the Stan Lee and Jack Kirby run of Captain America comics. This lasted from 1965 through 1969 and takes place in Tales of Suspense, number 72 through 99, as well as Captain America, the original run from 1968. Well, not the original run, but the second original run. 
fun. Uh, issues 100 through 112. Now, you might, if you are a comic book historian, be able to suss out that, yes, Jack Kirby and Stan may have written Captain America comics before, but starting at issue 72 is where they really hit their stride. Lee and Kirby are a legendary, absolutely iconic comic duo. Maybe the iconic comic duo. But they didn't get to Cap until he was revived during the initial Avengers run in Avengers number 4. And from there, we get to see classic Silver Age Cap. Now, the deal with Tales of Suspense was, and as you might notice, not a Captain America book. Uh, at least not strictly a Captain America book. Tales of Suspense was meant to be an, an anthology series, like your Marvel 2-in-1s, your action comics, your detective comics, where they could tell multiple stories about multiple heroes. And in this specific run, Tales of Suspense was giving the spotlight to two Let's just call them B-listers. Captain America and Iron Man. Yes, dear listener, you might be surprised to learn that Iron Man and Captain America were not always the big Marvel mainstays that they are now. But this comic allowed readers and fans of both of those characters to have... Their cake and eat it too. They only got to pick up one book, but they get two stories. And so Tales of Suspense featured a first story featuring Iron Man and then a following story featuring Cap. And they would have these dual narratives. Sometimes they would match up. Oftentimes they didn't. But following the end of Tales of Suspense with issue number 99, Tales of Suspense, that's going to trip me up for the rest of this metamorphosized it, it it digivolved into the captain america comic proper so tales of suspense tale ooh, that's gonna get me tales of suspense number 99 turned into captain america number 100 where the captain america run kind of starts proper from there and i mean this comic has it all. You would be surprised, I think, if you looked back at this and thought, oh, this is just going to be, you know, wacky, silver, silver, wacky, silly, silver age stuff. It's not just that. There's absolutely that element there, but this is also Cap's first foray into espionage. Lots of people forget, but the 1960s was all about espionage. We had the Cold War going on. We had the rise of spy thrillers. And Captain America, after being thought out of the ice, needed to fight a new war of his own. And so in this run, we get to see him fighting all manner of international espionage threats, we also, during this run, get the introduction to several characters who would several characters and concepts who would become huge mainstays in Captain America stories. Agent Thirteen is introduced here. Sharon Carter would later be uh, would later be given as her name, and uh, if you know the comics, that name sounds mighty familiar. <laughs> uh, Batroc the Leaper, my boy, French violence himself. Batroc the Leaper also makes his debut in this. And this is also the run where the Cosmic Cube comes into its own. Not just as 
Marvel's classic McGovern, but also a backdoor into how Cap stories would be shaped for the foreseeable future. This run features basically all the building blocks you would need for the rest of the stories, which is why it's so important. A lot of these runs that I'm going to be talking about here don't have what they have without the Lee and Kirby run prior. And even though this was a relatively short run when we get into some of the other runs that we have on this list, this absolutely deserved to be on there and was just eked out due to some Silver Age wacky silliness and also the fact that it's just not the best Captain America stories. This is actually, this run is a lot of what you would see when it came to old school Cap cartoons. Shout out to Scott Nicewander on the Nerd Sync YouTube channel who has come on to the podcast to actually talk about Captain America in cartoons. Uh, he did a huge deep dive on the old school uh, Marvel superheroes Captain America cartoon, which directly lifts plots and actual art from this run it's basically taking this run and turning it into a motion comic and voila there you get the captain america cartoons of old and if you are interested in that stuff it has other stuff that you don't see in the cartoon featured as well so give this a shot especially if you love old school silver age stuff uh if you want to read comics or specifically captain america comics read this for old school comics flavor with a dash of fantasy spycraft this is what you want to get kick-started if you want to chronologically follow everything from here and it is absolutely worth being the half in seven and a half best captain america runs but with that let's get into the list at number seven I have the Tanahasi Coates run. From 2018 to 2021, this encompassed Captain America, the 2018 run, issues 1 through 30. And this is the modern politics run. Synopsis goes like this. For more than 70 years, at time of release, obviously, Captain America has stood in stalwart defense of his country. But in the aftermath of Hydra's brief takeover of the nation, Cap is a figure of controversy, carrying a tarnished shield, and a new enemy is rising. As Steve Rogers takes on the manipulative power elite, will he end up as captain of nothing? Or does the living legend still have some allies in his corner? Framed for a crime he didn't commit, Steve is forced underground, but he's about to come out fighting. However, even as Captain America returns, so too does his greatest enemy. Can Steve marshal his forces in time to face the reborn Red Skull? Now, this was a big deal when it came out because this was Cap getting the Coates treatment. Uh, Tanahasi Coates, for those of you who are maybe unaware, is one of the most prolific writers in comics right now who always puts a focus on sociopolitical issues as they are related to superheroes, uh, marginalized um, groups of people and just really injecting a lot of our modern day problems into his comic books there's a lot of scuttlebutt on like oh keep politics out of my comics and normally what people are referring to when they are complaining about this is usually a ton of hoxie coats book but i think that makes this run really really special we got 
for a while. Cap doing classic superhero stuff, fighting bad guys, doing spy things, without ever really addressing the country that he was supposed to be representing. And Coates decided, hey, let's do that because he's done it before in the 60s and 70s, and let's just see what happens. And what you get here is a run that essentially pits Steve versus the world. Steve Rogers not only has to face down this powerly, this shadowy cabal, but also has to essentially go up against the nation that he gets his title from. He is outcasted, he is sent to prison, he has to deal with social media campaigns against him. Steve is in this run really showing off the soldier from a bygone era the version of his character and you get to see him deal with the kind of modern problems that you know celebrities or any kind of major figure in our culture today would have to deal with and there's you know there's obviously that argument to be made of like oh well i want to get to comics to escape and for escapism and trying to not have them reflect our world but i feel like if you try to stick with comics that only do that you're really robbing yourself of a comics run that for my money is one of the most socially minded comics runs that the character has ever gotten And not only that, it's an examination of the man behind the shield. You get to see what Steve does and how Steve ticks and what makes Steve Steve outside of being Captain America. He spends a large portion of this run having disavowed the Captain America name. Does that sound familiar? And he goes on the run from the U.S. government in an arc called The Legend of Steve. Like... Set aside the silliness of the name, it's such a cool idea because you get to see him reclaim the identity of himself, not just the superhero identity that he holds. Because him as a person and as a fictional and popular figure is so much more than just guy throw shield with A on his head. And so this run really just does that for me. It also, it's, I'll admit... A comic run that I didn't love initially. And it took, shout out to my books cl- book club co-host Malcolm, him giving me some of the back issues to say, I need you to read this because this is one of the most important comics that's going on right now. And I thank him every day for that because this run is absolutely one of the greats. And it is absolutely deserving of this number seven slot. Read this comic, read this specific run for social justice issues with blockbuster action. The only reason that I think it it's held back for me is I don't like a lot of the art from the back half of the run. It starts off really strong, and then just for me, there are certain guest artists that come in for this that I just don't really vibe with. That's me, though. You might have loved this from start to finish when it comes to the art. It's just... It, it didn't have a great artist, and I don't mean that by, like, I'm sure they're a great person, and I'm sure their art appeals to many people, but it just didn't appeal to me. So that's just my view on it, and that's why it unfortunately doesn't go a little bit higher. But number seven out of all of these runs is a pretty good spot. Now, getting into number six, 
this is where we might get a little uh, off the off the rails here. Because number six, it's the Nick Spencer run. I know, 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 I know. Just put your put your port put your pitchforks down for two seconds. Let me give you the pitch. Okay, this ran from 2015 to 2017 and encompassed Captain America Sam Wilson, number one through 24, Captain America, number 25, Captain America Steve Rogers, number one through 16, and the entirety of Secret Empire in 2017. This run is a tale of two captains. Synopsis goes like this. When Steve Rogers retired, Sam Wilson, formerly the Falcon, became the all-new Captain America. And in addition to threats like the Sons of the Serpent, he must contend with those who resent his taking of Cap's mantle. But when Sam, Steve, and Bucky learn the shocking truth of the town of Pleasant Hill, everything changes again, and and a reinvigorated Steve returns as a second Captain America. But Steve has a terrible secret. Is he a double agent for Hydra? Has he always been one? As Sam battles in the light, Steve navigates through the shadows and schemes to change the world. This is a tale of two captains, Sam Wilson and Steve Rogers. Hero and villain. This was the run that got everyone and their mother to hate Nick Spencer's guts. This was the run that had people rioting in the streets about all caps said Hail Hydra, and I think they've jumped the shark. The character has been assassinated. He's done and dead and dusted and gone forever. Captain America comics will be terrible, and also we hate that new black Captain America. That was a lot of the discourse and the loud vocal minority of people who hate this run. But let me let me just let me just pitch this to you real quick. This is a story of two captains on a collision course. One working in the skies and one working underground. Each of them is dealing with an identity crisis. Sam Wilson trying to step into the shoes that many think he's not quite able to fill. Steve Rogers trying to keep up a facade that, in his mind, he's had to deftly maneuver through his entire superhero career. And it's all leading to a climactic conclusion where we get to decide who truly wields the shield. This is some of the best Captain America storytelling you will find. I, as you very well know, am a sucker for lore. And I'm a sucker for continuity. And I will turn up for any kind of story that draws upon the history of the characters involved. And this run does that in spades. On the one hand, this might be one of the best character pieces on Sam Wilson that we've ever gotten. We all knew that there would be some knuckleheads who hated the idea 
of Sam Wilson taking up the mantle of Captain America, whether it was nostalgia for the Steve Rogers of old, whether it was blatant racism, or whether it was an inability to accept change, there was going to be backlash. And what Nick Spencer chose to do was lean into it. Hashtag not my Captain America became not just a rude thing for insecure Twitter heads to put up on their socials. It became the entire thesis statement of this run. Sam Wilson not only earns his wings, he soars. Every single arc has him dealing with the fact that no one believes in him, and every single arc shows him proving everyone wrong. Whether it's him becoming the next iteration of Cap Wolf, whether it's him dealing with the immigration issues, whether it's him taking on a new Falcon, whether it's him teaming up with Misty Knight, whether it's him having a fun Pro wrestling issue with one of the preeminent gay characters in Marvel Comics that no one talks about. This run feels like a modern Captain America run. I swear if they had just swapped out Sam Wilson for Steve Rogers, people both at the time and in retrospect would be like, it's one of the best of all time. But as it stands, this story could not be told through the lens of anyone else but Sam Wilson. Drawing upon his history, drawing upon his, not just, not just his heroism, but also his skepticism and his cynicism and his need to try and be the cap that he thinks he needs to be rather than the captain america he is i just love this run for him obviously there are issues nick spencer as you could probably tell is not a black man and there is something special about having a black creator write a black character and we'll get to that but this was a trial by fire for Sam Wilson as Captain America and in a lesson of sink or swim he not just he didn't just swim he sailed and i absolutely adore this on the other hand Steve Rogers Captain America the sentinel of liberty the guy who we have trusted for at this point almost over 75 years decides to say those fateful words, Hail Hydra. This was freaking wild. I've told this story numerous times on the podcast, but this was the same night that DC Universe Rebirth number zero dropped, or number one, I'm not going back to check. And I remember reading those two comics back to back, and it just blowing my absolute goddamn mind. That was a crazy night for me, to the point that I had to wake up my partner from a dead sleep to tell her about comic book things that she would neither remember nor care about in the years to come. And I, oh, it's such a good reveal, and such a great hook for a first issue that of course it made national news. Of course. 
It made news everywhere. Captain America's a secret Nazi? What are you talking about? And the unraveling of this mystery, the tampering with history, dealing with the Red Skull, Kobeck, all of the Pleasant Hill nonsense, everything that led into the Secret Empire event was sheer perfection. Steve Rogers trying to hold up this facade of being the hero of America while also plotting its destruction. And having to thread the needle every single time he came into conflict with his supposed best friend. It was just masterful storytelling. And when we get to Secret Empire, people forget this entire event rules. It drives so hard. And if you do not think that, reread it. Because it collected is an incredible story that trips right at the finish line. It's an almost perfect event. The reason that this doesn't go higher, because obviously you can tell I enjoy it, obviously you can tell that I love it, why isn't it ranked higher? Because at the very last second, it commits to a choice that sours the entire experience. Because ultimately... What this series was about was positioning Sam Wilson as Captain America. He was the Cap who was on the Avengers. He was the Cap who went into Secret Wars and came out of Secret Wars. He was the Cap who went into Civil War II. And survived it, by the way. Which means, if we're stacking up accolades, Sam won, Steve Zero. And he was the Captain America to take us into the next era of Marvel Comics. And I don't think there's a story in which you position him as the hero and Steve as the outright villain. Having to basically rewrite this character into becoming a villain if you are not prepared to position Sam to be that guy. And at the very end, the penultimate chapter of Secret, or yeah, Secret Empire, has Sam Wilson, who had abandoned the Captain America identity, taking up the shield once more to give the heroes of America and the world hope again. Setting up a final confrontation with Steve, what we had been building to, Sam Wilson versus Steve Rogers for the fate of the world. And they didn't give Sam the win. It's really unfortunate because this was obviously set up into being, oh, we've got some MCU stuff coming up and we got to make Steve Captain America again. So the old school Steve comes out of the storybook that Kobik built. It's classic Steve. He fights steve and all is right with the world. And then Sam Wilson goes back to being Falcon. It's rough out here for Sam Wilson fans. And it was rough for us back in 2017. But that being said, a creative and editorial decision that 
is just the wrong decision, objectively the wrong decision, at the end of a nearly three-year epic doesn't invalidate the incredible story that came before that. It's a wonderful run that doesn't get talked about enough and doesn't get enough praise. Read this run for dual narratives with interweaving agendas and a focus on what legacy means in the Marvel Universe, both the good and the bad. So that's number six. At number five, we have Mark Wade. You knew he was going to show up somewhere because it's me, Mark Wade and Ron Garney. Now, Mark Wade's been on Cap a couple of times, but this was the run that really cemented him as an all-time Captain America writer, alongside Ron Garney, who also doesn't get as much play as a Captain America writer, but should. This ran from 1995 through 1999 and encompasses Captain America, the 1968 series, issues 444 through 454, Captain America, the 1998 series issues 1 through 23 and captain america sentinel of liberty the 1999 series issues 1 through 12 and this dear listener is what we in the biz call a back to basics approach synopsis goes like this the world believes cap dead but his life is saved by his greatest love and his deadliest enemy will captain america celebrate his return or will he end up a man without a country after facing onslaught cap will find himself reborn once more only to lose his shield cap faces hydra scrolls aim and more unites with iron man against modok and battles korvac and the red skull for the fate of the future i love how intense 90s synopses are everything is world ending even when it isn't this is prime blockbuster 90s captain america if you wanted your captain america with a dash of shoulder pads and a side of too many pouches this is your captain america i just i mean come on like this this is popcorn blockbuster kind of turn your brain off sometimes and just enjoy the ride comic books and sometimes that's what you need sometimes that's what sticks with people especially for those of us with deep nostalgia i don't know if i've mentioned it enough but i am a 90s kid and when i first started getting back or really getting into captain america in comic form this was one of the first runs i ever read and this run really gives you a lot when it comes to how modern Cap stories would be told for 20 plus years after this run. This is where Sharon Carter became a not just a mainstay in the run, but a almost deuteragonist in the story, a secondary protagonist for Steve. The two, it was basically the two of them against everybody. Um, this is where we get to see him fight some of his most bombastic battles. It also features stories from literally every era of Captain America's history. We get an entire, I think, I think it's an entire uh, arc of him just in World War II doing World War II things, which, as you know, I am a basic bitch for, and I will always be a basic bitch for Captain America World War II stories. But this is also after the 
the wrap-up of the Grunwald run, where they were hell-bent on killing this character. They said, let's give him a makeover for the modern, at the time, uh, era of comic storytelling, which means lots of explosions, lots of weird body proportions, and a metric fuckton of dramatic pauses and cliffhangers and life or death sequences this run is just fun it's a fun comic book and captain america needed to be fun at this time during this run we saw them have a very succinct story and then all of a sudden heroes reborn happens gang and it just threw off everything Following Heroes Reborn, we got to see Cap dive into his mortality and dive into the fact that I've died maybe a couple times, maybe too much. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for my relationships? What does that mean for Captain America as a symbol, not just in this country, but to the superhero community? It's just a great run, and obviously Mark Wade knows how to write superheroes. So you know, again, I am a basic bitch for Mark Wade, and I will continue to be, and I won't apologize for it. It's a wonderfully well-crafted run that doesn't overstay its welcome and is one of the shining examples of not all 90s comics were bad. There were a lot. There were a lot. The 90s were a real dark period for comic books. But not all of them were bad. And Captain America during this time was one of the best. So that's number five. At number four, we have the monolith. At number four, we have the Mark Grunewald run. The longest run on this list. 1985 to 1995. This encompassed Captain America, the 1968 run, from issue 307 to 443. This, we're, we're talking an entire run of Invincible long of this run. This is the American epic. This is the epic Captain America run that people look back to for some of his most iconic stories. Let's dig into the synopsis. Oh, Captain, my Captain. When Steve Rogers refuses to become a government operative, a new Captain America takes up the uniform and shield. John Walker does his best to fill Steve Rogers' big shoes, but can he handle the pressure? Meanwhile, Rogers reinvents himself as the Captain. But why is he trading blows with his old friend Iron Man? Freedom Force, the Horsemen of Apocalypse, and the Serpent Society wreak havoc. But the Red Skull's return will put the two caps on a collision course. And in the end, only one shall wield the shield. So as I mentioned before, this is the longest Captain America run. I think period, but also the longest one on this list. Uh, this is also really interesting when you get into kind of the nitty gritty and you look at the details. It's not just, oh, Grunewald was the cap writer. And so 
all of the stories that people pull from just kind of automatically have to be from his because it's so long. Grunewald did a Claremont and gave us some of the best Cap stories we've ever had, period, way back in the 80s. And people have been trying to either adapt or reinvent those stories ever since. We get the saga of John Walker. I think Grunewald's probably his best story out of the run. Your mileage may vary, and obviously people will have their favorites. But for me, the saga of John Walker is the definitive Grunewald story. With Cap deciding, I will not be a tool of the government... I'm out of here. And the government's saying, fine, we have Captain America at home. And Captain America at home is John Walker. The idea of Super Patriot, this just Z-lister, being vaulted into what was considered at the time an A-list status when it came to Marvel Comics was a big deal. And his rise and fall as a character should be studied in schools with how well it was handled, both them taking the time. Grunewald was a master of long-term booking. New Japan would be proud. And Grunewald gave us the full scope of John Walker's mania. We see him as this blind patriotic character. We see him showing unease and being like, I don't know if I can fill these shoes. And having his Bucky, who it was just a bad deal all around, later getting rebranded to Battlestar, uh, getting the getting the treatment of you are a tool for an agenda. And you will have to be happy with that. Meanwhile, Steve is rocking a slick black costume where he gets to be the captain. And the two are set on a collision course once again to see who will wield the shield. But it's not just this. This is obviously the story that everyone remembers from the Grunewald one, and rightfully so because it is iconic. But we also get the Serpent Society! And why is that important? Because... Everyone and their mother in 2008 was like, wait a second, Sharon Carter killed Captain America. Maybe we should explore the idea of Cap dating a villain. They did this whole thing in the most recent run, in the current run as of this recording, where, oh, Peggy Carter is maybe a turncoat, maybe a double agent. Is she working both sides? Is Cap's old lover a villain? Y'all, they did this already. The Diamondback romance is so underrated when it comes to Captain America storytelling. And I will not have people erase Diamondback as a character because this was incredible. You, I, I think listeners who enjoy the uh, Emma Frost and Scott Summers romance as I do shamelessly need to take another look at this run because you get that nearly two decades before with Cap and Diamondback. Diamondback, obviously, 
is a member of the Serpent Society. So she is an outright villain, but she falls for the captain and Steve falls for her. So they have to play this real fun balancing act, not unlike your bat cats, where the two of them play this dance of dating when the costumes come off, but having to battle each other when the costumes are on. And it's just such a wonderful melodramatic story that would be right up there with some of the best soap operas of the time. It's just a great story and something that I don't think people remember enough. There's a reason the Serpent Society are still around, folks. There's a reason, even though they're kind of a joke, that they keep popping up in Captain America stories. It's because of this run and this story. This run also gave us Cap Wolf! The legendary Cap Wolf happened during this run as well as the debut of crossbones the perhaps sub boss of captain america's entire career this is the mini boss for cap when you look at his rogues gallery and for good reason this character was created as an anti-captain america and you get to see the two of them meet each other for the first time and you see how well they work off each other as adversaries it's just a great run all around this run is iconic for a reason it went on for a decade for a reason and if you want a definitive old school cap story with plenty of seeds for future ones you gotta read this that's what you read this for it is iconic for all of the right reasons it doesn't end great with them again grunewald just committed to the idea i'm going to kill this man at all costs at all costs i will end the life of steve rogers by the time i leave this book um it's you know it's not the best story but it did pave the way for that great mark wade and ron garney run so once again grunewald can do no wrong at number three we have the current at the time of recording as we are recording right now. And as you are listening to this, all three of those qualifiers run by the hive mind of Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly and Tochi Onyabuchi. This runs from 2022 to 2023. It's the shortest run on the list. And it is real unfortunate that it is ending in just one month. Uh, this encompasses Captain America number zero, Captain America Sentinel of Liberty, the 2022 run, issues one through 13, Captain America Symbol of Truth, number one through 14, Captain America Cold War Omega number one, and Captain America number 750, the issue that drops right now. Go to your comic shop. They've got a copy. Go read it. Go buy it. Read it. It's Captain America. That's what we're talking about here. This is, for my money, a modern masterpiece. I love this run. You know how much I love this run. I have been shouting from the mountaintops how much I love this run. Let's talk about the synopsis here. When Arnim Zola launches a catastrophic attack on New York City, he meets his match in Sam Wilson and Steve Rogers. In the explosive battle that follows, two Captains America prove better than one, and Sam and Steve decide they might just keep a good thing going. This was not just the return 
of Sam Wilson in the role of Captain America after wallowing as Falcon. This is the two of them being on equal footing and deciding we are going to be captains throughout the world. This story gives us both a captain at home and a captain abroad. The worldwide scope of this run is unmatched. I've talked about this in several episodes of this podcast. I We had... Lansing and Kelly on this podcast. We had the hive mind earlier this year when Cold War was kicking off to talk about all of our mutual love. They are Steve Boys forever. And I just, I love Tochi Onyabuchi writing Sam Wilson. It was just the right creative teams at the right time. Gorgeous art across both books. R.B. Silva in Sam Wilson. Carmen Carnero in Steve Rogers. Like, it's so good. It's so good. And both of those books, there was no weak link. Typically, if you get, like, a dueling dueling comics at the time, your X-Men Blue, X-Men Gold. We all know which one was better from that. You get your Uncanny versus your All-New. You get all kinds of different secret versus new Avengers versus regular Avengers. You will typically see one, you know, kind of outshine the other. For me, for my money, they're neck and neck. There is no weaker link in this run. Both the Onyabuchi run of Sam Wilson and the Hivemind run of Rogers are iconic for all of the right reasons. Steve and Sam finally get the chance to be captains on the same page. And even though they're not always that way, seeing them working together in tandem for realsies is so rewarding. And the times that they do conflict hurts that much more because you know the teamwork and the partnership that they share. This also brought us some really great storytelling devices the outer circle again go back to that hive might interview where they blew our minds on the concept of the outer circle how it's perpetuated and you know sequestered itself in every facet of our lives since it began a century ago uh, we get the return of the white wolf in Symbol of Truth, a character who had not shown up in a grand long while and became immediately the best arch villain for Sam Wilson we could ask for. We get the turn of Bucky, having him find out he's a tool of the century's game and deciding to flip the board for better and for worse, regardless of who he hurts. And we get to see Sam on the worldwide stage deal with the politics side of Captain America. That's something he's always shined in, stretching back even to when he was being written by Remender. This character does so well in representing not just his country, but his own views and values on the world stage. And that's what makes his run so fascinating. On the other hand, with Steve, as I've said before, it's National Treasure meets the Da Vinci Code meets Captain America. It's an incredible story across two different books that culminated in Cold War. And now, as we are recording this, as you are listening to this, Captain America number 750 gives us the penultimate chapter before we get the finale in August. Read this run 
for international intrigue and dual narratives with history on the line. I told you before, I love comics that deal with history, with continuity, with canon. And this comic knows when to hold them, when to fold them, and when to tell a story with a little dash of truth and a little dash of fiction that makes you fall in love with comics all over again. Wonderful run. And it is a huge thing for me to have it this high because I had these next two runs as untouchable. I had them as completely untouchable. And on any given day, these top three could change. I could have this hive mind on Yabuchi run at number two or number one, depending on the day that you ask me. But today, as I'm recording this, by the skin of their teeth, at number two, I have the Rick Remender run. This is stretching from 2012 to 2015, which seems like a very short time, but for Steve Rogers, was ages. This is Captain America, the 2012 series, issues 1 through 25. Winter Soldier, the Bitter March, number 1 through 5. All new Captain America, Fear Him, number 1 through 4. All new Captain America, number 1 through 6. And Hail Hydra, number 1 through 4. That last one is a Secret Wars tie-in. Uh, this is the ultimate stranger in a strange land story on multiple fronts. The synopsis goes like this. Thanks to Arnim Zola, Cap is trapped in the nightmarish Dimension Z. With no country and no allies, what's left for Steve Rogers to fight for? Then, Cap faces the fury of Nuke and the machinations of the Iron Nail. But when Steve loses his powers, it's time to pass the shield, and the Falcon becomes the all-new Captain America. With a new nomad by his side, Sam Wilson is put has his hands full with Hydra and the deadliest enemies in Steve's rogues gallery. Plus, the Scarecrow brings the fear. The Winter Soldier goes on a thrilling Cold War mission. And on Battleworld, will Nomad hail Hydra? This run is, for me, the run that I associate with whenever you talk about breaking new ground in comics. Whenever you talk about, let's take a character and put him in stories that we've never seen before. The Remender Run is the run that comes to mind. Dimension Z is one of the greatest additions to the Captain America mythos of all time. It just is. The creation of that alternate realm where Zola rules all, and Steve has to not only deal with that, but also deal with becoming an impromptu father to Leopold Zola, who would later go on to become Ian Rogers, is just one of the best Cap stories I've ever read. I give a lot of flack on this podcast, I believe deservedly so, to John Romita Jr.'s art, especially in the last five or so years. This is one of my favorite runs because of the Romita art. It's so good, and it takes all of the stalwart Captain America stoicism and iconography that we know and puts it through the weird body horror filter that only Ramita knows how to do. It's just, it's iconic. It's incredible. This is also the story 
where Sam Wilson wields the shield and Steve Rogers gets to retire. This isn't the first time someone else has taken up the mantle of, of Captain America, but this is the first time where it was Steve's choice and Steve got to choose his successor. And there's something special about that. This is the first time that we get to see Sam in the role of Captain America. And though it's only for six issues, 10 if you include the Fear Him miniseries, this immediately is an indication of, oh, this is something new and it is going to drive real far. This is going to be something special. It's going to honk. And oh boy, did it honk. I really love this run because it we get to see characters evolve and change. And there's something about that. It's the reason that I love Gmo's run on Batman, especially when they put Dick Grayson in the cape and cowl. We get to see characters grow, change, and evolve. And though they are beholden to their past, the continuity, the canon, they're not defined by it. And watching these characters be the best versions of themselves, which is, I, I think we all wish we could be at all times. And, you know, I know in my experience, I don't always succeed at. Watching these characters be the heroes that we know them to be is a special feeling. And it's something that makes this unique. Yes, there, is, there are trials and tribulations. Yes, there are hardships that these characters go through. But at no point during this run do you forget that Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson are the best of us. And there is something really special about that. Because that comic and Rick Remender never lose sight of it. It's something that's really important and something that I think should be noted you know, you can, and I've talked openly about it's in this very episode, about how much I love Sam being the Captain America of the modern day. This was the primer for all of that. This was showing how the times have changed Steve Rogers and why we needed Sam Wilson as Captain America. And that's something that I'm always going to cherish about this run. Um, this is a wonderful run that gives us incredible moments. The, the nuke issues are wonderful. The Iron Nail, even though it's real creepy and weird, is a great ideological villain for Cap that doesn't have to be the Red Skull. And if you are itching for a good run and one of the most iconic runs, read this. Read this for the biggest swings that you could possibly expect in a Cap comic and a true passing of the torch where we get to see one sun set on a captain's career and one soar as Sam Wilson becomes the new Captain America. And that brings us to our number one. As I've mentioned before, these top three could be interchangeable at any time. In fact, there was... in preparing and doing the notes for this, a time where this was number two and Remender was number one. But looking at it as a whole, rereading, going through my notes, going through my research, really digging into how these runs made me feel, not just rereading them for this, but when I was reading them initially, there was one run that people constantly talk about 
there's one run that people will not let go of and there's one run that reinvigorated the character and i truly believe we wouldn't have captain america stories the way that we have them without this run this is of course the ed brubaker captain america run from 2004 to 2012 this is one of the longest that the character has ever gotten unbroken with a single creator Captain America, the 2005 uh, uh, series, issues 1 through 50. We don't see that nowadays. The current run, if you include both of the uh, both of the books together, doesn't even hit 30 issues. And that's a damn shame. Because Ed Brubaker, get ready for this, gets not only those 50 issues, he also got the Captain America 65th Anniversary Special, Winter Soldier, Winter Kills, number one, Captain America, number 600 through 619, Captain America Reborn, number one through six, Captain America, Who Will Wield the Shield, number one, Steve Rogers, Super Soldier, number one through four, Captain America, the 2011 series, number one through 19, Captain America and Bucky, number 620 through 628, and Winter Soldier, number 1 through 14. If you asked me, what is the embodiment of modern Marvel comics with a lenience towards the aughts and the early 2010s? It's this run. This is modern Marvel. There is a reason that if you watch the MCU and read this comic, it feels seamless. Synopsis goes like this. Cap is awakened in the dead of the night by agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. who need the kind of help only he can provide. But the corpse he finds on the helicarrier brings him face to face with the unthinkable and opens doors to terror and manipulation he never dreamed possible. This is definitive Cap storytelling. When you think about Captain America comics, when you think about Captain America stories, odds are an image from this run is what comes to mind. Whether it is the game changer that was the Winter Soldier saga, taking a character who hadn't been seen in decades and saying not only is he back, he is a ruthless killing machine who Steve might have to put down just after being reunited with him. Timeline might not match up, but I believe a certain Mr. Red Hood came back around this time too. And I'm not going to say which came first, the chicken or the egg, but I know uh, cluck cluck when I see it. The Winter Soldier saga is incredible, and Brubaker, for me, is the definitive Bucky Barnes writer. Hive Mind's getting real close, let me tell you, but Brubaker is the writer that brought back Bucky Barnes after he was killed and made him the Winter Soldier. And not only that, also made him Captain America. Not only that, made him the man on the wall. Not only that made of Natasha's boothang. It is an absolute tour de force, this entire run is. And it is a miracle 
that this run reads as well as it does. Because I know comics that were published in the early 2010s that haven't aged nearly as well as this run has. This run also featured the death of Captain America, a monumental thing. I remember my first year in high school reading this story and finding out, oh, that character that you love with your whole heart and is your favorite Marvel character, he just died for realsies. This wasn't him just going into the ice, suspended animation, we'll see him in a couple decades. He died on the steps of that courthouse. And you can bandy back and forth, return to Captain America, the time travel gun, yada, yada, yada. There was a funeral. This made national news just as much as the death of Superman did. This was a big deal. And from there, the question arose. Who will wield the shield? And does the world need a Captain America? And Brubaker cracked his knuckles and said, watch this. And gave us one of the best comics that I have ever read. The Brubaker run is iconic for all of the right reasons. And I keep saying that, but it's true. Bucky Bucky coming back from the dead as this ruthless killing machine. Finding out that he can have autonomy again. Just in time for him to become Captain America. (laughs) Sounds insane. But Brubaker pulls it off. He knows how to weave a long-term story, and he does so. This is Bucky's story as much as it is Steve's, maybe even more so. And it is wild to me that in all of the Brubaker run, everyone kind of just focuses on the first story and doesn't talk about the stuff that came after. The Trial of Captain America is one of the best Captain America stories of all time. You heard me say it. It's one of the best stories of all time featuring Captain America. And if you haven't read it, or you haven't read it recently, you are missing out. Because it is a definitive story, not just for Bucky, but for what Captain America represents as a symbol and as a superhero. It's incredible. It's absolutely amazing. And for them to not just do that, but also to bring Steve back, in a very reminiscent way that they did with... uh, Batman just a little while earlier. It's incredible how they pull that off without making it feel incredibly contrived. There is obviously going to be some contrivances because it's comics. That's what they do. There's a reason both words start with a C. But it is mind-boggling that Steve came back and there wasn't an immediate, oh no, This is resetting the board and this sucks. And I think it does have something to do with the fact that Brubaker was helming the ship the entire time. And this wasn't, this didn't feel like a, oh, we're getting ready for a new run and you have to put all the pieces back together. He got to tell his story. And everyone has just been kind of reacting to it ever since, which is what makes it kind of magical. The Winter Soldier does not gain the kind of popularity that he has currently without this run. The run created the character. Obviously not Bucky Barnes, but Winter Soldier is a moniker. The idea that Bucky Barnes might one day become Captain America is owed to this story. It's a huge deal. And the fact that this story happened 
and that Bucky can now be the Winter Soldier or Bucky Barnes or the White Wolf or whatever you want to call him following this. And no one is clamoring for, oh, man, I really want Bucky back as Captain America really gives you an indication on how strong Brubaker writes Bucky to show that he doesn't need it. He filled the role for a time, which I think separates that and kind of sets it apart from the Dick Grayson Batman run, which was also happening at the exact same time. But it also tells us that Brubaker loves this character. That Winter Soldier run, the, those 14 issues, which not only establishes backstory and also give us the definitive romance for him in Natasha Romanoff, maybe Bucky's best story. Again, the hive mind stuff is, is creeping up real quick. So we'll see. But I absolutely adore this story. It's many people's favorite for a reason. And it is absolutely deserving of this number one spot. Read this one for a political thriller with Cap's most iconic stories. This is the culmination of everything that came before it. And it set the tone for everything that came after. And that is why it is number one on the best seven and a half Captain America comics. In over 80 years, there have been a lot of Captain America stories. And it's kind of wild to think that after 750 issues, Cap's still going strong. Whether it's Steve, whether it's John, whether it's Bucky, whether it's Sam, Captain America stories will continue. And hopefully, this list will change. Hopefully, we'll get even better and greater runs, and Captain America stories will reach new heights. But one thing that I know for sure... After 80 plus years and 750 issues of Captain America, if he's led to a fight and a duel is due, then the red and the white and the blue will come through when Captain America throws his mighty shield. It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And this week we are reviewing episode number two of Secret Invasion, a Marvel Studios event. Uh, we are now a third of the way into the story, and I have to say, I liked this episode a lot more than the first one. Not that the first one was bad, I just feel like this episode pushed the ball forward. I, I'm crossing metaphors. But it really took the story forward. Like, the first episode obviously sets up everything that you need to know. But episode two is where stuff starts to really dial in. Like, we opened up on a great, great, just amazing flashback uh, in the aftermath of the Captain Marvel movie that was set in the 90s. And we get to see young Nick Fury. I patch young Nick Fury. Like, we're talking uh, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. running around doing espionage stuff Nick Fury. He looks like how Nick Fury looked at the beginning of Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Where they were like, we're gonna mesh the two versions of Nick Fury together and just make one Nick Fury before he 
obviously became Sam Jackson, Nick Fury later on in the show. I really dug this because not only does it give us the kind of epilogue for that movie of the Skrulls having gone out to find a new world, being met with nothing but uh, xenophobia, aggression, or in a lot of other cases, just clear ambivalence, and them returning to Earth because it's a safe haven for them and a port in the storm, and Fury being like, okay. I will help you if you help me. If you help me protect my world from stuff like you, I will find you a new world to live in. And it's unclear where that stopped. (laughs) Because we know that from here, Fury has been working on this since the 90s. So when did that agenda change? Or when did Nick Fury change? Because there's... A real possibility that Nick Fury, or this Nick Fury that we see in the flashback, is not our Nick Fury. And that either he was replaced at some point along the way, or something. We don't know. We don't know. We also don't know how long... Well, I guess we do know how long he's been gone for. Because they talk about... There was a popular theory after it was revealed in Far From Home that, oh, you know, Talos or Talos, however you want to call him, has been uh, masquerading as Nick Fury for a while, at least since Avengers Endgame. And it was unclear on where or how long that's been going on. And we do get in this episode the confirmation that, oh, he he was the one that did get, like snapped away during the snapping and he was the one that came back and so he left immediately afterwards i'm assuming he was that was the real him at uh tony's funeral spoilers i guess but i i am very intrigued by the idea of people either either being scrolls and revealing themselves or Maybe in the case of Nick Fury, having been a scroll the whole time and not knowing it. Because for those of you who don't know, a big part of Secret Invasion in the comics was the sleeper agents. Some characters who may not have known that they were scrolls and are later revealed to be. There's this big feint that uh, Queen Veronke does with, uh, with Iron Man, with Tony being like, you have unknowingly had this, you know sleeper agent inside of you unconsciously guiding everything that you've done to get us to this point now obviously we found out that that wasn't true but how much do you want to bet that that's something that they are going to either adapt or cover in this series like at a certain point somebody probably olivia coleman is going to be like fury you've been a scroll the whole time And him not knowing that, like, a huge reveal, I'm sure, that would be. Uh, But I I, I just think it'd be really cool. It's, I like the double play, and I love that everyone is kind of a suspect here. Uh, Rhodey got a big spotlight in this episode. He got to go in front of the council. Uh, He got to mouth off to them he got to have a great scene with fury and it is still very unclear whether he is a scroll or not it's i don't know if it's if they're playing up to the red herringness of it or if he's legit going to be a scroll but we'll just have to see because there are a lot of questions involved in this uh gravik 
who I remembered. I remembered his name this time. Uh, no promises on whether I will for the rest of these, but he did mention that he's got something in the works if the Avengers get involved, which makes me think there's a scroll on the Avengers. I don't want to automatically just assume it's Rhodey, but it's probably Rhodey. We'll see. Because Rhodey did talk about, oh, I found out about Skrulls in 2008, which is really funny because he was a different man in 2008. I really dug this episode. I like the intrigue. I like the back and forth between uh, Talos Talos and Nick Fury. Again, I'm really sad that Maria Hill's dead, which they did confirm, and she's not a Skrull. Boo. But I am really liking where they're going, where they're starting to even distrust each other. Uh, the action was great. Again, Olivia Coleman is just crushing it. I don't. I still don't know what skin she has in the game. Whether she's Varanki, uh, having come down from like the big Skrullos or whatever, wherever they've like gotten their new. Uh, whatever their second lease on life and she's coming around to stamp out the rebel cells or whether she's a Kree. I don't think she's a Kree, but she might be trying to like exterminate them because we have this Kree scroll conflict. It's th there's a lot of question marks with her. And I think that adds to the intrigue. Plus she's just, she's just delightful and she's just so camp with everything that she does she this is legit one of the best pickups marvel has ever gotten on just an actor talent basis uh and i feel like they loaded up this this specific series with really top level acting talent which i appreciate uh we do know that there's a council now of scroll people uh, manipulating things from the sidelines i think the unfortunate thing is that not only does this kind of feed into already comparisons of oh it's just hail hydra but all over again but it makes my dream of an outer circle adaptation really difficult to do because now we've had not one but two different shadow societies changing things as they go obviously the outer circle is very different but that being said to a mainstream audience, they might not be able to see the delineation as clearly as those of us who are studied up on it. Uh, but overall, I thought it was a really solid episode. Like I said, I liked it a little bit more than the first one. But I think so far, uh, Secret Invasion is two for two. Again, I, I am really excited and glad that Marvel gives us the skip intro so I don't have to watch that god-awful AI intro. Because once again, and I feel that this bears repeating... AI is awful, and they should feel bad for using it. That being said, the actual content of the show has been fantastic so far. I understand that it's probably flying under the radar because not a lot of superheroes in it, but I don't know. I like political thrillers. I like spy thrillers, so I'm enjoying it so far. And then we got, the, oh, I almost forgot, the big old tease at the end that Nick might be married to a Skrull and might not know it. Maybe... This is where the whole sleeper agent thing comes into play. I don't know. I'm just speculating. We'll have to see how, th how that goes. But I feel like she was featured in the flashback. But then, and you saw her slicing vegetables for dinner. I'm assuming dinner. I don't know what the time would be over there. Uh, slicing up vegetables in her scroll form. But then when Nick gets back, she's in her human form. 
And we know that Nick doesn't have, like, an aversion to Skrull's Skrull forms. So I don't know. I am very curious to see if he recognizes or he knows that his wife is a Skrull or not. So we'll just have to see. But that is all for this week's weekly review. Tune in next week for episode three. And for now, let's roll right on into this week's Comics Countdown. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown for the week of July 5th, 2023. This is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comics hall laundry, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explained Pick of the Week of last week. And... It was tough. I'm going to let you know this right now. We had some really good comics that came out last week, but ultimately I chose Captain America, Symbol of Truth, number 14. Fitting for this week. Written by Tochi Onyobuchi with art by Zay Carlos. This is the final issue of Symbol of Truth, and it makes me really sad. I talked about it already, but I just, I am going to miss this book. I love how Onyobuchi writes Sam. I wish that we had gotten more time with him, and it's it's super unfortunate that we are very near the end of this run because it's and I talked about already it's one of the strongest runs that the characters had in quite some time. But that's last week's books. This week I've got six books for you to check out. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into this list. Kicking things off with a double dose of X-Men Madness. First things first, we have X-Men Before the Fall, Sinister Four, number one. This is written by Kieran Gillen with art by Paco Medina. And I... And... Man. I, I'm very excited about this. I really... I'm... I'm trying to think of how I feel about all of this Fall of X stuff because there's a lot that I think has to be taken into account when it comes to this stuff. Like, they have done a great job. Uh, Gillen and Ewing especially have done a great job in setting all these building blocks for intrigue that could last years. But it also feels like they're setting up dominoes that can fall very quickly over the course of the next few weeks and months. So I am really nervous to see how this goes over because I, I, I like my ex office and I like what they're doing. So that being said, let's dive into the synopsis. Fall of X is coming. As the 19th century drew to a close, the dying Nathaniel Essex unleashed four clones of himself into the world. They've been haunting it ever since, while lurking in the shadows. We know what Sinister has been up to. What about the others? In this issue, we delve into their past and discover their latest atrocity when they start to... date? Well, that's weird. <laughs> So we have Mr. Sinister, we have Dr. Stasis, we have whatever the frick his name is The on the frickin' uh, cover of this. He looks like Jeff Bridges. I'm going to call him Jeff Bridges. And then we have, um, uh, what is her name? Um, what is her name? What is the name she goes by? Mother Righteous. Thank you. Uh, thank you to myself. Thank you to my brain. Um, 
<laughs> Mother Righteous. Um, I am interested and curious where they're going with this. That's weird. But I am also really interested to know more about these other sinister clones. So we'll just have to see. And then on the other side of the spectrum, we have X-Men number 24. This is written by Jerry Duggan with art by Joshua Kassara. And we are very nearly... Uh, very near the end, I think, for this round of, for this season, I guess, of Duggan X-Men. I think after this, we have Hellfire Gala this month. So we'll see what the X-Men looks like after the Hellfire Gala, or if there even is an X-Men. Uh, I'm really curious. I'm really excited. We'll just have to see, but let's dive into the synopsis because it is a goodie. Pogger Pog for Hire! Hired for the dirtiest of jobs, a deadly mercenary comes crashing into the X-Men right at their most vulnerable moment. But not just any mercenary. Finally, the breakout fan favorite from X of Swords or Ten of Swords, Pog Ur Pog, returns! He's a giant sword-wielding alligator man who... Ileana made her bitch. I really, I'm excited about this. I I love dumb characters like Pog or Pog, so this is going to be a lot of fun. Next up, we have Daredevil number 13. This is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Marco Cicchetto, of course. And in this issue, Daredevil goes to hell. We saw at the end of last issue that Matt has a date with the devil, and he is going to wreck shop as soon as he gets into hell. Let's dig into the synopsis and find out what's going on. The Red Fist Saga, Part 13. Daredevil in hell. Chip Zdarsky and Marco Cicchetto are on the last leg of their tour de force through Matt Murdock's life and afterlife. Yeah, I don't know if this is the last issue of this run or if the next issue is, because I know we're getting like a Daredevil like Omega or whatever for the uh, Zdarsky and Cicchetto run, but I'm not sure exactly what when that happens. I know it's happening soon, but I don't know if it's this issue or the next issue. But I I mean, I love this run. I love this creative team. I've really dug almost everything that they've done with this, and I'm really excited to pick this up. Matt Murdock goes to hell, and we're going to see how much hell he can raise while he's there. Next up, we have Doctor Strange, number five. This is written by Jed McKay, Marvel's secret sauce right now, with art by Pascal Ferry, and this book rules. It just does. It's great. Go read it. Doctor Strange has been on just the longest streak I think that a Marvel character has been on over the past decade, where every single creative team that's been on him has been going from strength to strength. So I love that this is continuing on. And also Jed McKay has been on the character for a long while, and we don't often see that in today's day and age. So I'm I'm interested. I'm interested to see where this continues to go as the mystery and the uh, the collision course that Strange and Clea are on continues. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis and find out what's in this next chapter. The Infernal Marriage. Dark wedding bells ringing. Strange and Clea have been invited to an... That... I'll tell you a second. 
Strange and Clea have been invited to an interdimensional wedding, but when the bride is Clea's own mother, Umar the Unrelenting, it's not exactly the family event the Stranges want to attend, especially when the guests are mysteriously being murdered. Oh, I didn't even think about that, because we're... Again, allegedly, Clea has killed a warlord, and if all the other warlords are going to be at her mother's wedding, that sounds like open season for her. So I'm really excited. The Dark Wedding Bells Ring just gave me this nom-esque flashback to my time at the Gaslight Theater. Shout out to the Gaslight Theater, where in my first, um, in my first Christmas show, it was uh, it was a terrifying experience, terrible experience all around. But for those of you who aren't aware, in Art Tucson Locals, uh, Gaslight puts on a Christmas show every single year starting from around November through the beginning of January. And it's pretty much five shows a day, six days a week, and the schedule is grueling. And so I was playing a character, and I had the first song in the show for that. And the song starts like, bells will be ringing. But I was not as comfortable with my singing range at that time. So he's reading the dark wedding bells ringing. It's like, dark wedding bells ringing. Just like, woof. I was all of a sudden, I was back there on stage fighting for my life to hit these high notes. And so I just, I, oh, woof. That was a, that was a deep-seated memory that unearthed itself. But back to Doctor Strange. Really excited. Can't wait to pick up this issue. This might just be a, a glorious bloodbath at the wedding of Umar the Unrelenting. Next up over on the DC side of things, is this the only DC book I have on the list this week? It is! Oh my god! Uh, the only DC book that we have on the list this week, it's Adventures of Superman, John Kent, number 5. Written by Tom Taylor, art by Clayton Henry. Uh, this book is fantastic. It's wonderful. John has never felt more in important, I feel, which might be strange considering he was the Superman on Earth for a while, but making him the multiversal Superman and having him deal with other Supermen across the multiverse is just, it's a stroke of genius, and it makes him feel just as important as Clark in his role. And I've been loving him coming to the Injustice universe. I like his uh, his rapport with all of those characters. It's, it's fascinating, especially because this is set before the game. And this, I assume, is canon to the comic and to the game. Uh, the comic of which that Tom Taylor also wrote. So, lots of plates spinning. I'm really digging this so far. Let's dig into the synopsis. Countdown to Injustice, Chapter 5. The Super Sons are reunited and up against an entire world of injustice. But in this penultimate issue, will John Kent have a hope of returning to his Earth? It's a battle for the soul of Superman and the safe return of the Super Son as the Injustice Saga cranks up the heat. Now wait a second, you thought you could sneak that by me, but penultimate issue? Does that mean that Adventures of Superman John Kent is a miniseries and not an ongoing, as I had assumed? I, I don't know how to feel about that. I was hoping that Adventures of Superman would be an ongoing and that the maybe the main character would change or John would be doing other stuff. But yeah, I don't know how to feel about that. But either way, really excited about this issue and I'm looking forward to picking this up. But of course, the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up is... 
Captain America number 750. This is written by Jackson Lansing, Colin Kelly, J.M.D. Matias, Gail Simone, Tochio Nyabuchi, Stephanie Williams, Cody Ziegler, and Dan Jurgens, with art by Dan Jurgens, Sarah Pacelli, Pacelli Cinderelli, R.B. Silva, Daniel Acuna, Marcus Williams, Rachel Stott, and of course, Carmen Carnero. Uh, a literal Hall of Fame worthy creative team on this look at all these names we've talked about some of these names i i just man i really really am excited about this and all the variant covers look sick as well don't think i didn't notice the cassidy cover you know how much i love my cassidy and cassidy has three variants on his cover so i'm really excited let's go ahead and dive into this synopsis the captains america mourn their fallen after the harrowing events of Captain America Cold War, the Captains America return home to mourn their fallen and strive to honor the power of legacy. Plus, the secret origin of Sam Wilson's new shield revealed and a bold new direction for Sharon Carter. In honor of 750 issues of Captain America, a team of fan-favorite guest writers join forces with superstar artists to spin timeless tales celebrating the epic history of the star-spangled hero. I, I'm really excited about this. I am, I, if you couldn't tell me dedicating this entire episode to this issue, I'm very excited about this. And I'm really excited to pick this up. Um, again, it is bittersweet because of circumstances and context, but I'm really excited. This era of Captain America, I will look back on fondly and I can't wait to see this penultimate chapter of that saga but that is going to do it for this week's comics countdown to recap we have x-men before the fall sinister four number one x-men number 24 daredevil number 13 doctor strange number five adventures of superman john kent number five and captain america number 750 almost all of these books are either penultimate issues or preparing for something monumental in their respective stories. So make sure you prepare yourself to head down to your LCS this week and pick up some great comics. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and subscriptions really do help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space. Raises up our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write literally anything you want. I will be forced to read every single word. As long as you give me those five stars, though, the sky's the limit on what you can make me say. And you'll be able to join the likes of our amazing Fantasy 15, including Seafire ND, Joshua Pants to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, A Lock and AZ, Sass, Jedi Jesse 20, Ken 4656, and Director Hall. Want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. Remember, remember, we got a month and a half to get five more review, duh, five more reviews to read on the show. We're at fifteen. I want to get to twenty before my birthday on August twelfth. 
I believe we can do it. If you haven't dropped a review yet, please do so. I would love to hear from you. Uh, if you want to be part of our Geeksplained mailbag, send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here on the Wednesday show. If you would like to keep up to date with us, uh, participate in polls that decide future episodes, maybe you just want to shoot the shit on with me on the latest geeky news, or if you want to get first notification for announcements on the podcast, feel free to follow us at Explained Pod on Instagram and Twitter. For as long as Twitter is around, it seems like it's really fallen apart this week. And as I continue to try to get better at Instagram, I'm bad at it. I know I'm working on it. It's a work in progress. Uh, that would be the place to follow us. Every single Friday, this would be, I think, our final plug. Uh, every single Friday is the Geek Explained Book Club, where I and my fantastic Flash fam are going through every single issue of every single volume of The Flash Rebirth. I'll be joined, of course, by my co-hosts, Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown. This week, we are going to be tackling Volume 5, a.k.a. Negative, where Barry Allen's going to be dealing with the ramifications of his latest run-in with Eobard Thawne as he is infected with the negative speed force. It's part of our Brave and the Bold season where we're covering the Flash and Green Arrow rebirth runs, so if you are into that kind of thing and you like to hear three comic book nerds talking about comic books, check us out this Friday and every Friday. Flash Fridays are a real thing, so make sure you be there or be square. And that is going to do it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed going through the seven and a half best runs of Captain America. If you disagree, I would love to hear from you. If if I know in my mind that there were runs that are really good that I left off this, and I would love to hear from you what you thought of them, or if there's one that's on your list, check me out. Let me know. I would love to have that conversation, whether it's through email, whether it's through social media. I want to talk to you. I love talking about Captain America, as you can probably tell. So feel free to hit me up. Feel free to reach out. And I would love to have that conversation with you. Next week, we are going to be taking a sharp left turn from comic books into the world of film as I get to talk about Mission Impossible! Dun, 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 dun. Because if you haven't heard, or if you live under a rock, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 is dropping next week, as of this recording, and I am freaking excited about it! Really, really excited. So uh, join me next week as I'm going to be ranking every single Mission Impossible film from best to worst. That'll be next week. Join me for that same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for the Geek Explained podcast, I've been Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening. Everybody stay safe, and we will see you next time.